This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Her name is Nick Govia. She's the founder and CEO at Blurred. She set up the company in January 2019 and within six months won several major global clients, including BT, Marriott and Coke. They were named PR Week's number one to watch for 2019. She was named one of the Sunday Times 35 under 35. Management Today also featured her on its front cover in an exhibition on business leaders. In 2005, she co-founded Unity, where she won over 400 awards, including Agency of the Year and Campaign of the Year at the PR Week Awards and Best PR Agency in the World and Best Campaign in the World at the Global Sabre Awards, which we discuss in a lot of detail. They were consistently featured in the top three of the Homes reports for Global Creativity Index. Uh, Nick has twice featured in PR Week's top 10 power list for comms leaders, uh, as well as a recent review of female communications chiefs. If you are remotely interested in, let's see, how to win new business by becoming a truly values-based business, which she cites as the reason why these global businesses want to work with her in the first place, if you're interested in how to stay current and inspired as an agency leader, every week she finds really interesting people in the paper and then goes to meet them for a coffee and then just ends up expanding her mind and challenging her views and just staying current and creative. I learned a ton from speaking with her. I think you'll learn a lot from listening to the conversation as well. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Nick Govia. Nick Govia is the founder and CEO of Blurred. In January 2019, Blurred was named as PR Week's number one to watch for 2019. Within a few short months, it secured a number of major global clients focusing on work which embraces the blurring of the lines between corporate, consumer, and internal and external communications. She has won just a ton of awards for her campaigns and creative work. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Nick Govia, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. I've been looking forward to speaking to you for quite some time now. Um, you've got a fascinating background. You've got a 2-1 from Leicester University in the history of art. You've then gone on to make some of the most breathtaking and impactful PR and communications that we've seen in the last sort of 15 or 20 years. Just a ton of awards um, that you've won in the process. What, what first attracted you to the world of media and marketing? Um, I, I just, it was kind of by accident, really. But I, I knew that one of my skills that I had from university was kind of the art of persuasion. Um, I remember getting my highest... Um, scores when I could actually you know stand up in front of peers and professors and and kind of land points or present arguments so mm -hmm. I, I knew I was naturally persuasive and could work on what the right messages were to kind of land a point well and then when I got my degree I just was desperate to get to London um, and start it all and, mm -hmm. and it, it was difficult to find a job at the time and the only thing I could get was to work as a tour guide at Madame Tussauds mm -hmm. and um because I worked five days a week, but always the weekend, I had a couple of days off during the week. So I offered my time for free to the PR department there, mm -hmm. just so I could see what it was um, all about. And I just loved it, just, you know, fully embraced it. Mm. 
and from there once I decided that's what I wanted to do and, and I was in London at that point so I could go to interviews etc um yeah I just started applying for jobs and eventually got um a job as an account assistant at a company that was called Scope which um eventually became Ketchum so that's how it all started really huh so you started as an account assistant at Ketchum at 21 um what was that experience like I mean they're a storied agency they've just won a ton of awards and themselves at, at, at that time what was that experience like working with such an uh, award-winning agency yeah it was great and it was actually before it became Ketchum it was um a big old office it was probably about 80 people I think and it was called Scope and then it was bought by catch them and, and rebranded mm. but it was effectively the same company because that's why they bought them to enter into the UK market but it was um it was great and the most phenomenal thing about it actually was there was um four of us that started around the same time three of us were 21 one was 19 mm. and we all sat kind of um back to back working as assistants for our various teams and fast forward over 20 years the four of us are still absolutely the best of oh, really? friends That's yeah amazing. you know one of them Olivia is on the board of Ikea um, based in the Netherlands the actual board of Ikea wow. um, another um, Anna owns Albright which is this uh, network of private members clubs massively growing across the world um, and the third is um, kind of got to the top of the tree of the comms world and then retrained as a coach wow. and is actually a shareholder and works within my business as a, as a coach for everyone in my team and wow. reach other's grandparents and we've got a holiday together, we've got a house together for New Year's. You wow. know, we're known as the cult from my husband's because <laughs> we're such a you know tight You're group so and there isn't a day yeah. goes by when there isn't a WhatsApp conversation between us. And um and although, you know, obviously I learned my trade at Ketchum, really it was that kind of foundational relationship that really is, is was the was the best thing that could have ever happened um and we've just supported each other in our respective careers so it's um it was a phenomenal time for me what was in the water at Ketchum at that time that just made everyone sort of so fantastic I mean what an incubator for for talent yeah I do you know what it was just a, it was a funny old time and this is how old I was you know it you started to mail out press releases and stuff and on uh, we mainly bonded over being in Kenko's at four in the morning you know you trying to stuff um you know 300 envelope for some major corporate announcement that was right. happening and that was just the way you had to do it sure. so you'd have to often work through the night because something would only be signed off and that's what we kind right. of bonded and yeah. and it was it's just phenomenal um yeah. time i just learned from great people and just had that hunger to um, do interesting stuff and make a difference Fantastic. so we weren't all there that long together hmm. um we quickly kind of went off and spread our wings and did different things but it was a foundation fantastic foundation Hmm. You said that for quite some time you were an undiagnosed um, dyslexic and you say that you spent most of your life up to that point sort of trying to prove people wrong. But at Ketchum, you found a place where you could thoroughly thrive through the power of creativity. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's because I had the, the way school structures worked and even university, it was there wasn't a lot of room for people like me who... Um, you know, approach tasks differently for us to thrive. You know, mm -hmm. we have, I've had to conform to the way everyone else is. Mm -hmm. And I was an undiagnosed dyslexic for a long time and, you know, failed all the entrance exams for all the good schools and all that kind of stuff. I um, didn't get particularly good exam results. By the time I got to university um, and I was able to, I was undiagnosed and I had a laptop, 
obviously then I, I was much more in my element and got a really good degree actually I was very close to getting a first mm. um but suddenly when I had my first job in PR then the world dramatically changed for me because rather than just being okay at stuff I was suddenly hmm. um exceptional and, and that sounds like I'm being really big-headed but it's an important message to people out there who you know may not conform um and may not feel like they fit in in most other places you know for me I was suddenly in the industry that was right for me where hmm. the, the fact that I thought differently the fact that I um approached problems differently the fact that a creative mind was you know, absolutely sure. encouraged yeah. just meant that I, I, I stood out nice and it was incredible life. because I was suddenly like, you know, I just suddenly was top of the pack and you're sure. like, how did this, how did this happen? <laughs> right, and, um, role and they be- yeah, they believed in me and I never told them mm. I was dyslexic actually. And it came out, um, once in a joke, someone said it's something because I told them that when I was at university, I funded university by, um, volunteering myself for medical experiments. So I used to check myself into a hospital for a week and they test all sorts of drugs on me <laughs> okay. and get paid a load of money for it. And, um, and someone just quipped, you know, oh, is that why you can't is spell? You... I was like, oh, oh my God, you have clocked it. I've been trying to hide it. And it was like, okay, time to come, time to come clean. But they didn't really care yeah. about that because they, they realized I could do other things. And, sure. and I was very, very quickly promoted in given tons of opportunity okay i would have thought that's where your creativity came from the fact that the i reckon yeah plugged you with exactly. so many drugs really, really interesting <laughs> yeah, uh it's funny so it, it i mean that is an interesting thing actually because the world is sort of run by left brain thinkers sort of accountants and consultants mathematicians and people that sort of those are the people that sort of run the school system and say answer you know memorize these facts yeah come to the exam repeat those facts to us and that's the way that the sort of the world has sort of operated for a very long time but right brain thinkers creative thinkers I think are only now getting the appreciation that they deserve totally and actually there's loads of you know people who are huge game changers in the world now who are right brain thinkers and I think Mm. people now appreciate it but the world has also changed. I mean, I'm so happy today. I have to go to my daughter's school. She's nine. She started a, a, a new school. And she was awarded a really prestigious prize. Mm-hmm. You know, they only do it once a term and very few of, of the girls. And she's dyslexic like me. But the world has changed. And mm-hmm. this school, the reason we chose it is you know, that they say, we don't care how you get to the answer. Just get to the answer mm-hmm. if you want to, you know, express it through a picture, you know, whatever it, it takes. And sure. um and she's just thriving, like totally thriving. And it's an excellent school with, you know, incredibly good academic results. So it's not about um, not not getting there, but it's about encouraging, you know, if someone's going to do that by a, a creative mind or a mind that thinks differently. It's just phenomenal. But it makes me so emotional because obviously it was very different to what, to what I experienced. Sure, sure. But, but increasingly you see it. It's, it's so many... Um, kind of great leaders now do have different types of minds and and, and I love that and embrace mm. that obviously imagine what it would have been like if if that was recognizing you earlier in the same way that it has for your for your daughter because I guess she hasn't grown up with the struggles that you that I guess that you had yeah but I think it's made me mm. I think it made me I'm, mm. I'm actually pleased that that's what happened that to me because it mm. it drove me mm. to prove everyone wrong as you as you mentioned so um although it's easier for for her and I hated being misconstrued especially because I was labeled as being lazy and I'm actually if anyone knows me I'm about the least lazy sure right sure 
Let's talk about your time at Unity. At 29, you set up Unity to change advertising. I'd like to understand what you what you mean by that. But during your 12 years there, Unity won just a ton of awards, over 400 awards, including Agency of the Year, Campaign of the Year uh, at the PR Week Awards, Best PR Agency in the World and Best Campaign in the World at the Global Sabre Awards. Talk about what kind of culture and the factors that enabled Unity to achieve that level of incredible success. It was actually less advertising and more um, PR, and it was it was more actually it was actually less a, a mission to change the world that existed, mm. and more an absolute desire to to work for myself. Um, that actually drove it. You know, I'm pretty unemployable now because I've worked for myself for so long and I, I think I'm just a natural entrepreneur. I've got a number of, you know, investments and businesses that I've backed and set up, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what actually first initially drove me was the desire to do my own thing and control my own destiny. Mm-hmm. But I found a, a business partner um, with a very similar ethos and attitude. And actually what the reason we created quite groundbreaking and different work was actually because we didn't really know what we were doing because um, my business partner was the CEO of the company we'd just left. I was um, on the board, but ran the business and corporate um, division. And we accidentally set up a consumer PR agency. Mm -hmm. And when I say accidentally, that wasn't initially the intention, but a friend gave us a, a piece of work to support the homeless charity crisis. Um, and to help promote a Christmas pudding that came with all the trimmings and all the trimmings where you were actually buying a homeless person a haircut and then you set clothes and various things. And we were like, well, we're not doing much at the moment. You know, let's do a campaign around this. And it was a phenomenally successful campaign. And I remember entering into three categories of one award and it was shortlisted in all three. And we were like, <laughs> hold on, we don't know what we're doing here yet. You know, it turns out we're quite good at it. Yeah. And the reason was it was 2005. and. Mm. You know, Facebook was born in 2004. So the world had suddenly changed. There was this thing called social media, you know, experience. Digital was early days, but kind of coming along. And I think um, because we didn't know that consumer PR was done in a certain way, Mm -hmm. we did it in the, you know, instinctive way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the two of us still being very experienced comms professionals. And instead we looked around us and went, right, what is this thing called Facebook? How can we utilize Mm -hmm. it? And um, and so the DNA of that company became very much based on innovation and doing things differently and, and breaking barriers. Um, and, and that kind of remained true to us and the kind of work we did for well over a decade. In intelligent naivety, I think I think they call it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have that. I'll take that. <laughs> well, I mean, at, at Unity, that's where you started, as you said, to get sort of national recognition for some of the campaigns that you worked on. And two notable ones, I think, were uh, the MS campaigns that you worked on. I think yeah. one was around sustainability. The other one was around um, uh, fairies, which I really want you to go, to talk about. Um Talk about the sustainability campaign first. What what was that about? So um, another thing that we built our reputation on um, at Unity was also doing work with integrity in, in areas that mattered, so around sustainability or purpose, um, helping kind of corporates be better. And actually that's totally been a building block to the world I have now, which is very much focused in that. And we did a lot of the work for um, Plan A, which is was eminent is MS's kind of sustainability kind of citizenship okay. type area. 
And the campaign that really um, built our reputation was when we launched Swapping. And it was an initiative where it's back in 2012. Swapping. And it was an initiative whereby, um, yeah, Swapping, okay. where it was encouraging everybody to every time you bought something new at MS to take in something old. And it didn't matter if it was from another right. retailer. Mm. And then they would take those items of clothing and either you know break them down to their constituent parts like wool and put it back into the you know production system hmm. or um resell them via oxfam or if they were really grotty you know use them for things like car insulation and it was that kind of stuff is quite established now but it was really groundbreaking at the hmm. time and um and we did this campaign that got kind of global notoriety where we kind of dramatically highlighted the problem which was all this clothing that was ending up in um landfill and it was something like five minutes worth of UK clothing waste was just under 10,000 items in five minutes. So we took that number of items and we clothed the street to kind of just impactfully land it. But within that street, we also created a lab when we had people experimenting with different fabrics and had talks and we had, you know, blogger challenges and a, and a week long kind of set of programming around it. And it just really captured the imagination of people and, and drove people in the you know, tens of hundreds, tens of hundreds of thousands to actually swap. So that was really great. And it was um, it was just a really landmark campaign for us because it just took us to a whole new level. Um, mm. And previously we'd, you know, we would have a successful business, but not at that kind of, kind of stage. And then I think a couple of years later, we did the Follow the Fairies campaign, which is probably my favorite campaign of all time. Sure. It was a Christmas campaign and M&S had these two fairies called magic and sparkle that were the stars of their christmas ad and they came to us and said you know can you promote our ad and anyone in kind of pr and comms hates that question because it's the answer is normally no we can't um because you know nobody's interested in just sure. that alone so instead we turned it on its head and said right you've got these great characters called magic and sparkle and we looked at the world at that time and it was dark dark days it was you know isis had begun its terrible you know, march across the world and it was it was just awful and we just had this insight into wouldn't it be wonderful to tap into that part of everyone that just secretly wishes fairies existed mm. and that, just, that there was just kindness and, and joy kind of baked into the world so we essentially made that happen with a campaign where we created um fairies social um kind of voice on twitter and they only ever spoke in rhyme and then we just carried out random acts of magical kindness across the the country really intensively so it started on a, a monday where kids at school in cornwall turned up to school and they'd never seen snow because they live in a part of the world where you know the salt content in the air just means it's 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 impossible huh. and we had made real snow kind of land all across this school wow. but done it in such a way that it looked because that was part of our thinking it could never look you could never see behind the scenes. Sure. It had to look like right. a fairy had literally flicked her wand and this thing had happened. Wow. And it was unbelievable, these kids' faces. It still makes me cry when I see it. Wow. You know, and, and people, journalists came from all over the country to go, what's going on here? And there was a small calling card written mm. in rhyme from the fairies, but didn't mm. say who they were. And then we went on to do so many big, loads of big things like that, including having you know, glimpses of fairies flying across the team, the, the, the tine. And people right. were like, did I just see that? <laughs> and again, they would just be like a calling card. And then we did Love this. It. And this was totally groundbreaking, but mm. we did social listing across the whole country where we would just hear random people go, Donna, you know, I went to buy my ingredients for my Sunday lunch. I forgot the carrots. And then 20 minutes later, they'd be ringing at the doorbell 
you know, ring at the door and they'd look down and there would be beautifully oh, wrapped carrots with a with a personally written rhyme. Oh, it was fantastic. a huge national operation. And by the end of it, everyone was talking about it. My daughter came home from school and yeah. said, I've j- we've just had a whole lesson on the fairies. And I'm wow. like, oh, my God, that's, you know, she didn't even know. <laughs> oh, so I told her later I was working with right. fairies and she was like, my mummy works with fairies. <laughs> um, you know, and it was amazing. And basically, my client expressed it this way, and I just loved it. He mm. said, you know, kindness broke out across the country. Okay. And it was unbelievable. It was mm. huge. And um, it, investigative journalists were trying to find out who was behind these mysterious wow. fairies. And then, you know, at the end of the week, and the ad went live, and suddenly everyone was like, oh, my God, that's who it is. Wow. But it was just, it's a kind of work I care about deeply because it was made a difference to people. You know, it, there was a real depth to it. It, like I said, at a time that times that were dark, we bought some light and life and love, and people responded to it amazingly. And, and that year, it kind of absolutely won the hearts and minds of of the retailers at Christmas. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, it's one of my favourite campaigns of all time. Oh, I just love hearing that story. I could I could hear that over and over again. That that kind of thinking, that kind of creativity, for both campaigns that you just mentioned. At what age? Did you realize or did you start realizing that you would you thought differently to other kids or maybe other peers? Because I'm, I'm just trying to understand sort of what is it in you that sort of enables you to come up with that sort of thinking? Well, for a start, it's not always me, actually. It's um, it's often other people as, as well who are heavily involved, definitely in my current business. Um, I, you know, just I think I've always been creative, just as part of my blood you know I've always been imaginative I I still have terrible um, nightmares and vivid dreams and I think it's that's just part of having a kind of creative mind Mm. and I just think uh, the skill I've developed over the years is 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 matching that with kind of a a strategic mind as well so that it's well-placed creativity but I think creative solutions change the world Mm. because I I'm not big into um, things that are frivolous or get headlines for the sake of it I'm all about doing something for the greater good often it is working with corporations um because essentially you know that's part of our business model but we tend to to you know use our creativity to you know either like you said there in that example of the fairies you know uplift you know a nation in a time of darkness or help promote a sustainability initiative that will you know mean there's less waste in the world so um and my one of my business partners, Stu, talks about this all the time. It's not about a creative idea in terms of like a stunt or something. It's actually about having a creative initiative and idea in the first place that really counts nowadays. So, you know, the idea of swapping in the first place, which we didn't come up with the concept of that, about, you know, taking an item of clothing in every time you bought something new, that is actually an incredibly creative idea. We just helped people hear about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the only way we'll um, even get through this environmental crisis we're in is through creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, people reinventing the world around us. Um, so for me, it's everything. You know, and of course, you need the, the right and the left brain thinkers in the world to make it go round. But creativity is absolutely key. I just remembered, actually, since we've been talking, another element of the fairies campaign, mm. which I've totally forgotten about. We found this family that had... Um, been broken into the previous Christmas mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve and had all their um their toys and all their presents and the TVs and everything stolen. And we basically 
worked with someone to access their house while they were out. Wow. And we, and again, because it was all about what would a fairy do? You know, a fairy would deliver snow randomly over a school or, wow. you know, so we say, what would a fairy do? And basically we'd got them loads of amazing presents, but then we'd put this Christmas tree in their house oh. where the base of the Christmas tree kind of went up to the roof of the first floor then came poking out of the kids' bedroom <laughs> love upstairs. That. And then the top of it came off the, up off the oh, roof. Oh, love that. But, you know, completely yeah. mad. Yeah. And then they came home and were like, what in God's name has happened? But they just, you know, loved it. And it was like, well, that's the kind of thing the fairies would do. You know, they just wanted to bring that family a bit of joy. But yeah, I've, only just, I've, I've totally forgotten about that until we were talking about it just now. Absolutely love it. My question would be, would that sort of campaign work today? Because I guess that sort of happened in an age pre-data or, or pre the sort of obsession about data where whereas today CMOs and marketing directors are so under pressure to deliver deliver results that they they almost need a lot of data to back up every single decision that they make so I guess the question is how would that have campa- would that campaign have worked today would your client yeah. have bought into it yeah, yeah, they, they would. It, it was an irresistible idea, and people ultimately you win people over to mm. their hearts as well as their minds. You know, and that's something like going back to the earlier conversation. What I learned at you know Leicester when I used to, you know, present my research findings. You you need both of those mm. things. Um. So yeah, it would have done. We just may have targeted some of it a bit more closely mm. and been able to back up our hunches a bit more through the tools that are mm-hmm. available now. Mm-hmm. But it, it is an art and a science. You know, when you when it's just when stuff is just data led, it just feels sure. it misses its heart it does. On, on the soul. And we're moving towards a lot of AI talk and stuff, but a computer can never deliver that proper, you know, magic. Magic. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's, that can, can only come from a, a human mind. And mm. yeah, the best campaigns are when those two things come together. Now, around that time, you were really career focused, which led to some challenges in your f- family and personal life. You made some challenges which actually have made you a better person at your job. How yeah. so? So, um, and I may be sharing a bit here, but I'm a big believer in telling warts and all because otherwise people look at you and think it's always been easy. Um, and, and it's good to share the fact that it's not always the Instagram veneer that people see. So I, I was doing really well in my career, had an incredible company, everything was going great but really wanted a child and um and I unfortunately had six miscarriages so it was dark days incredibly difficult and tough hmm. um but actually again I don't regret any of it because when I eventually did have my daughter and then my son um it made me so much of a better parent hmm. and I actually you know, it's a fundamental belief of mine that when things look on paper like they're wrong they so often are right mm. you know the fact I was misdiagnosed as a, or undiagnosed as dyslexic gave me my drive the fact that I found it so hard to have children made me a really good mum you know and when mm. other people were exhausted and fed up that they hadn't slept for three months it's not that I you know loved it <laughs> but I I was just so grateful at four in the morning when my child was crying that I had a you know that I had a child yeah. to cry in the first sure. place and it just really helped me um, address my balance in life. And I found it very difficult for a few years because instead of understanding that, you know, I might have to create better balance across the piece. I just tried to be everything mm-hmm. and do everything. And I, and I reached a point where, of course, 
I very nearly had a, a breakdown. I, I did, to an extent, have a small breakdown in that I just was like, a, you know, I just couldn't do anything and had to send myself off to a kind of health farm place for a number of days and have you know six weeks off. Um, and then I just rebuilt my life from there, really. And hmm. and I put really firm boundaries around myself. Like I I don't look at emails after six o'clock. Hmm. You know, I, I really don't. And um. And I get home at six o'clock and I eat dinner with my children and I put them to bed hmm. and I have that balance. And you know what? Um, nobody died. No hmm. clients suffered. You know, clients and team members know if they need me after six and they WhatsApp me, I'm always there. And sure. of course, if there's a crisis or there's a major problem, I, 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 I will, of course, break that rule. But I just stopped trying to be everything and do everything. And, and often I did that thing was I'd come home, I'd put the kids to bed. And then I'd get my laptop out and work sure. for another couple of hours. And yeah. my husband was like, who are you? You know, mm. I don't even know who you are. And I was burnt out and exhausted. And, you know, I'm, way, I'm a way better mother. I'm a better wife, a better friend. And I'm better in my job um, mm. from it. But again, you know, I couldn't be told these things. I had to learn them the hard way. Mm. And these were useful lessons for me that I will take with me always. You left Unity after 12 years uh, to set up Blurred, which we'll talk about in a moment. How do you reflect on your time with Unity? Oh, with great love and affection. My priorities were very different then. You know, I, early days I had no children. I was single. Um, it was just, they were they were happy days. Actually, in case my husband hears this, I wasn't single. I mean, I wasn't married. <laughs> Sorry, important, um, important point of, right. of difference. Um, and it was all about the work. It was just all about doing something that, with creativity at its heart, of breaking the you know, rules and the kind of current conventions and just pushing marketing as far as it would go. And and I'm so proud of um the work that we did and the reputation we we built for ourselves. It was it was a great, great, great decade. Hmm. You founded uh Blurred. Let's talk a little bit about Blurred now. You you founded Blurred in January twenty nineteen with Katie Soliday and Stuart Lambert. You've signed several major global clients, BT, Marriott and Coke. You won two seven-figure accounts in the first six months, I think. And you were also named PR Week's number one to watch for 2019. That kind of success is really quite rare for new agencies. What do you put that success down to? So again, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to kind of test theories and learn along the way. So I've obviously learned a hell of a lot in my 12 years at Unity. I'd um, invested in a, another brilliant agency called Tin Man. So I'd learned through the process of that as well. So I just knew how to um, create the the right kind of shortcuts mm. to get, get somewhere quickly. And I don't mean shortcuts by, you know, cutting around the edges sure. of things that were important. It's the opposite, actually. I think we've achieved so much more by saying no, by turning down the wrong kind of clients by being incredibly clear about we what we wanted to do so we're a very purpose-led business and our purpose is um built around depth um in an industry that's really categorized by the superficial mm -hmm. so we will only do things with real depth our business model is based on a real depth of talent and expertise that we apply to client challenges and i think for me i couldn't bear to do a, a build a company that did superficial stuff um, I just couldn't, you know, I wanted to be dealing with the biggest companies doing the most, helping them with the most difficult challenges because that's where I am at 
my agent stage and it was the same with Stu and Katie and, and Emma RFD as well um so that's what it was really about about being incredibly clear about who we are the kind of work that we do what our purpose in the world um is and having extremely clear values and and that has helped us and, and like I said we actually said no to so many things and it was really hard at times because it was a self-funded business and sure. it was a sea of red in those early days right and great brands were coming to us but with superficial briefs and we were like mm. no 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 and in the end some of those came back and said okay we'll do something you know the way you want to do it really which was with, with more depth um other times you know other opportunities eventually made their way to us but but we held out and um we were true to ourselves and that has paid absolutely paid um dividends and yeah we have a clutch of really good clients now where we're helping them navigate really difficult um issues but in a really creative way and and really we combine our deep deep consultancy and kind of corporate advice around you know major issues but we can equally still deliver the solutions in a hyper creative way and that's quite a unique positioning so many agencies wouldn't be able to say no to a new client that is essentially sort of especially if you are in a in in the red as you said at the time and you're you're a new organization you need to pay for staffing costs and all and all the rest of it and there's a new client that wants to give you some money um so many agencies wouldn't be able to resist that offer what got you through those dark times or at least what got you gave you the confidence to say actually no there is light at the end of the tunnel and we're not going to say yes to everyone we're only going to say yes to the right sort of organizations what got you through that well we built a model for it really so i'd factored in extreme losses Mm. for a short period of time you know didn't have to go in with such a heavyweight team initially but the reason I sought to build that was I believed I bought the right people with really major experience on in the early days and we all went at this we would grow a lot quicker and that's what's happened you know I, I could have done this on my own but there's no way I'd be where we are within a year um so it was a, a kind of planned risk so you know I ensured that we had the, the adequate financing in place that we could cope with those um, losses mm. and also I just believe fundamentally in purpose of businesses and I believe fundamentally in values of businesses and I believe if you chase the money it's a hiding to nothing mm. whereas if you you know if you're true to yourself and what you you're the unique thing that your company can bring the money will will come and, and one of my secret weapons is well I've got two actually on our board we have a, a coach um, who was actually a very great friend of mine actually one of the original people the cult from Ketchum um and right. you know we actually have her she's on our board she's a shareholder she coaches everyone within blood every two weeks all full-time um members of of staff so an absolute secret weapon and her job title is she's a kind of for, focused on people and purpose so mm. she ensures we stay true to that purpose and then we also have a, a management consultant on our board as well who um, also just helps us keep our eye on the prize, gives us ludicrous targets to <laughs> achieve, um, but totally supports us in, um, you know, holding our, our own and, and in terms of doing it our way and, and letting the purpose guide the way. Mm. But those have been two, you know, we've bookended the kind of 
core team, so our own FD and Katie and Stu, with with that that depth of talent again, depth of talent and thinking on our mm-hmm. board, and it's made all the difference. Hmm. So, so when you were setting up in the early days, I mean, you talk about the leadership team being being really important. What were the fundamental parts that you need you, that you knew that you had to have in place as far as the leadership team were concerned to start and build this new agency? What were the fundamental parts of yeah. that? So um, we really just ensured that we were covered across all core bases. So you know, strategy and creative, a lot of people think that's um, doing different people for those. We're actually kind of proud polymaths where truthfully we are com- combinations of right and left brain and I'm incredibly proud of that. Um, so within the board we've got real strength within that you know Katie is strong creatively and strategically but it's just also incredible uh, um, building relationships with clients and really ensuring that we deliver for them and that we understand what's what they need you know she's really good at ensuring that we get under the skin of that and deliver what clients actually need Mm -hmm. you know we've got an FD um, obviously very important from a financial perspective we've got and Nick Porter, like I said, who is about people in terms of the fact that she coaches and also helps us have that kind of holistic view. So, but most importantly, all of us were 100% aligned on our kind of purpose and on our values. Mm-hmm. And that um, was is is the most significant thing and the, the, the true reason why we're successful because we are categorically um, aligned on those and that makes all the difference. One day a week, uh, everyone in the agency goes out to find interesting people to speak to. This is one of the really interesting parts of the uh, pre-interview that we had. Why Why do you guys do that? And that's, some, that's something so rare. I don't see any other agency sort of approach learning uh, or sort of a, a, a approach sort of creativity in that way. What? Why do you guys do that? It's actually not everyone in the agency. Sorry if I... Um... If I okay. miss express myself, it's sure. the founding partners. So the right. three of us do. We do encourage everyone to go out and meet interesting people, but the three founding partners, we it is kind of ingrained in our um in, in our kind of diaries that that's that's just what happens. And it was actually born really from the eight months that I took off. Oh, sorry, somebody's just calling me. Let me just turn that off. Um, decline. There we go. Um, so I had eight months off between Unity and Blurred and. I use the time to do all the things I never normally get to do. Like I taught crochet in the village school, which kind of blew my mind. Right. Um, and just, you know, was a, a mum and stayed at home and got to know my village, mm. you know, where I live. But I used to, used to come into London for a couple of days a week um, just to keep my you know hand in the game, really. And I would just challenge myself to eat, meet interesting people. And it was difficult because I would, I would hit people up that I'd read about or done something interesting and say you know this is me you don't know me but I've challenged myself to meet interesting people can I buy you a a coffee and you would be amazed how many people say yes and I ended up going to the house of lords and just meeting unbelievable um talent and and really where do you you find them where do you find these interesting people I just hit them up on LinkedIn but I would you know if I read something interesting in the newspaper or online I'd just go like I'm just gonna bless you and, and yeah, you'd hmm. honestly be surprised. And, and almost the bigger, and... The, yeah, the bigger the name, the more likely they were to. Oh, really? I think they're just not used to people being so upfront about it. Like and, who, for example? And uh, well, I mean, the CEOs of major 
businesses right. but also you know the likes of Rankin you know internationally renowned photographer and Lord Chadlington you know all sorts of ah. you know, incredible yeah. people sure. um so really the concept of blurred I'd end up discussing with them and I can you know say that it was almost co-created by you know, hundred of London's greatest minds mm. of people I would just kind of chat to um and yeah it just it, I just realized the power of that because we live in our own echo chambers sure. and so often um what we think about is the stuff that we see around us and it's mm. it's great like I, you know i'm absolutely anti-brexit but even the last couple of weeks i've met some extremely pro um brexit individuals and i think that's the right thing to do you know i mm. want i want to meet people and understand how other people under other people think and how else can I be good at my job if I don't understand everyone's perspective and just sorry go ahead sorry well just in that and and that just learned that just taught me the importance of that and Mm. then off the back of that that helped um us actually fulfill one of our promises around depth and depth of talent I suddenly realized I've got these incredible people I know surely there's um you know a, a way to work with them and and so we have these two cohorts of really deep specialists of amazing creative talent that we can pull upon from ranking to, you know, 18-year-olds actually fresh out of school right. who are brilliant because of their naivety and people who are genuine world experts mm. in dealing with certain kind of corporate issues. And a lot of these people were people I met in that time. Mm. Um, but we could, we're only as good as our, you know, contacts list there. So that's why the three of us meet people all the time keep our minds open to keep it inspired and also to find the right the good people to partner with on on certain pieces of work and it's served us mm. extremely well I, I i think it's so important and and um, something I, I i see time and time again is that a lot, a lot of agencies are quite sort of london centric or at least shortage centric and they sort of end up as you said sort of in their own echo chamber speaking to themselves and sort of um, reviewing each, each, each other's work and if we're trying to represent other people in society through our work then it's extremely important to have that diversity of thought and opinion by going out into the community and actually sort of speaking to the people that you're that you're representing so I, I, I think totally. that's tremendously uh, important totally totally and it's important to have those like yeah different views different perspectives it's mm. just it's what makes the world go round. Hmm. Quite fascinating. Let's we're we're coming up towards the end of the interview now. Final few questions before we get into everyone's favorite questions. The holiday season is upon us again and there are so many retailers that um I guess now is the time where they sort of make up for the lost sales or lost revenue th- throughout the year during this sort of period. You've been responsible for sort of a lot of impactful Christmas campaigns. This year, which brands have caught your attention? Oh, I just love the Argos um, campaign. I love it. I wrote a review piece about it, actually, right. um, because it's called The Book of Dreams. And I remember, I mean, I was a child of the 80s. I, I would sit there on rainy days with a copy of the Argos catalogue and I'd circle. I'd, I'd set myself this uh, imaginary task that I could have one thing per page on the in the toy section. I'd sit there with my pen and circle it. Hmm. Circle it. And of course, because there are many, many rainy days in England, <laughs> This would be heavily graffitied and sure. defaced, and it have to turn from circles <laughs> right. to stars and hearts, and mm. and um, and they really kind of focus back in on the Argos catalogue. And you know, for years I understand why they haven't, because there were other things they really needed to land to ensure that people could see they were a direct competitor to the likes of Amazon. You know, that they do same day delivery mm. and the breadth and depth of their offering. But that nostalgic place in our hearts is 
it's just so key. Hmm. And it's extraordinary because I came in the other day and found my daughter. I don't know where she even got it from, but doing exactly what I used to do with really? her. Really? With a fan, and it's just it's just what people do, and wow. um and they just got this brilliant out of they got a guy just sitting at the table, you know, who, he's looking through the kids section, hmm. sees the drum kit, you know, he can, gets all misty eyed about it, and suddenly you know the book changes to drum kit, and he starts drumming, and then uh, you know the TV switches on and it's Simple Minds playing in the background, and then his daughter comes down and she's drumming with him, and before you know it, they're drumming in front of this sure. huge audience at Wembley or whatever. And it's just, for me, it's just so spot on. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with, you know, younger demographic. Yeah. Perhaps it didn't do what we did. Sure. But um, but for me, it just absolutely resonated in, and hit a real kind of key human truth. Well, that's so, really... yeah, I, I love that. I yeah. thought it was clever. It, it's a really good point that you make about the younger demographic because we're seeing more and more young people sort of attached to their screens and their mobile phones and, and tablet devices. And even though most people have have a TV in every house today, as young people grow up, we don't know whether they'll get to an age where they'll switch from their phone to their TV and continue consuming sort of on the TV or they'll continue with the mobile device. And that, that obviously has huge implications for... TV advertising and sort of, uh, sort of, I guess the the attention that we that we draw, you know, where we divert our attention to, what sort of screen we we uh, consume media in. What sort of, what are your thoughts on the way that young people are consuming media and the way that brands should be adapting their strategy in order to be as relevant as possible? Well, it's it's completely is about phone first without any shadow of a doubt and there's been that's why there's been a massive shift um to, to you know creating content or social conversations that that drip feed into that i mean even the way that news is is often um you know taken these days it's it's not from the original source it's mm. often because it's been shared on a social platform etc so um yeah the world has, has radically changed and, and that's why there is this um blurring of the lines even between marketing disciplines because mm -hmm. it you know it used to be i mean this has been happening for a good decade now but it used to be that you know ad agencies was all about creating the ads that you know premiered on tv and and did this or did that and um that's just simply not the case anymore it's the reason they're moved into our space a lot more and we've moved into paid content is because it is all it is all blurring and people sure. consume them um consume stuff in all sorts of different ways sure. And that's just about just always being, you know, innovative and seeing where the world is going and, and asking the question of, you know, what can be done today that couldn't be done two months ago mm -hmm. um, and, and keeping and keeping fresh. And, and I love that. I love that there's such change and it happens on a weekly basis as opposed to, you know, almost annually, which is how things used to change sure, before. Sure, sure. Let, let's talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion. Um, even though we're seeing sort of a lot of progress in recent years, representation of women and minorities at the highest levels of leadership is still sadly lacking. Yeah. Is the industry doing enough, in your opinion, and what more can be done? It's doing more and more. And there's definitely been a, a shift in the last couple of years where it's just simply not acceptable to have an all-white you know, set of faces or um, a board full of men and there's been some great companies and initiatives that have championed it i'm actually involved with um do you know elizabeth benanuka from um no. and yeah she's she's 
amazing from BME PR pros. Mm. And she's one of the people I met actually in my time out. Um, okay. We just met. She was an interesting, incredible, lively character, and she's all about. She does it on the side, you know. She's got a full time job, but mm. about promoting proper diversity, but not just about talk, but through action. So she's formed a board and an advisory group, and I'm kind of part of that. I was honoured to be asked. So I think it's getting better. Is it enough? No. Do we need to do more? Yes. Us included. Mm. Um, absolutely. But for me, it goes beyond even you know gender and ethnicity it's about it can go so much further than that it's about um even the way as we've talked about people's brains are wired mm-hmm. you know we would be really open to hiring um someone who is autistic for example mm. you look at greta thunberg who's um mm. autistic you know talk about persuasive and changing the world so i think people just have to be more open-minded you know generally um and we have people who work with us where English isn't even their first language. Hmm. And that's intentional and, and that comes from different backgrounds because, again, we talked about this earlier, but you only ever talk to people from this, who are the same as you and live in the same world as you, sure. then how are you truly meant to represent everybody and have sure. you know, broad views and opinions? So hmm. I think I think it's better, but there's still a hell of a long way to go. It is. Uh, but it's challenging, though, because it, it's really interesting, because I guess the inertia is to hire someone that looks like us and sounds like us, because, I don't know, for whatever unconscious bias, we like people that are that are like us. But you've intentionally sort of hired people that aren't like you. How do you, what sort of systems do you put in place to make sure that you don't, you, you don't have that unconscious bias when you are recruiting? Well, when you have a coach who's responsible for people sure. and purpose on your board um it becomes a hell of a lot sure you know easier um, but it doesn't mean we don't have to stop ourselves constantly and and say you know we did this recently because we still don't have as a good enough mix i don't think but sometimes it's you know the right person with the right skill comes along um so it's just but, but we're just working a lot more to ensure that we open up conversations with all sorts of people from all sorts of different backgrounds so that the choice that comes to us is broader because otherwise if you just relied on recruitment consultancies then you'd absolutely get you know predominantly white faces of people with a middle class background so we do and again that's part of our getting out and meeting people all the time um so we've got lots of routes into different types of um of groups now different groups of people and um, and that's you know and that's and that's great that we've got not got more option and choices, but people have got to be very active and proactive about it because it just it's just not going to come you know come to you. Sure, that's not how it works. Makes makes a lot of sense, Nick. I've only got you for a few more minutes. Let's get into everyone's favourite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, so we'll start with the first one. Tell us about a time when you failed, and what you learned from the experience. Well, I failed at Unity, really, if you think about it. The fact that I walked away from my own company after 12 years. And, you know, that's not, in paper, that's not exactly um, succeeding. Hmm. But I had my reasons, um, which sadly I can't go into for various legal legal reasons. But um, it, it was just no longer the right place for me. And it was very difficult because the thought of leaving did make me feel that it was just failure. You know, it was not... It was never, I wasn't realising its potential. And that was really sad for me to walk away from what felt like my firstborn, Hmm. you know, the thing I put my life and soul into. So that was, you know, on paper, a categorical failure that I ended up having to walk away from it. 
But, um, you know, in reality, it wasn't because it just wasn't right anymore. And blood is everything that I hoped it would be and and more. So, and I'm a big believer in that, that things that look bad on paper, obviously, are often the making of you. And I've talked about that, mm. you know, a number of times, actually, in this session. But, it, you know, but it it was one of the hardest periods of my life, making that decision and getting over what felt like failure at the time. Tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about PR, the way you think about comms, or you think about marketing. So it's a good question. The woman at um, Madame Tussauds, I can't remember her name. It's terrible, but she wasn't a mentor, but she mm. certainly inspired me. You know, I need to at some point track her down. Um, In what way? She was just phenomenal. Just because you know, she just she was one that opened my eyes to what it what it was about and what mm. could do and, and showed belief in me and really encouraged me to follow it as a as a career um and then really I, I've never really had mentors to be honest I think mm. I've found inspiration often from peers and actually from more, more junior people as well often I certainly do that that now I um tracked down the guy who who um was behind the record-breaking egg earlier in the year you know the egg that kind of um not Kylie Jenna off right. her, her post of having the um, most liked sure. photo on Instagram right. and then the egg cracked under pressure <laughs> and, and it was all about mental health. That sure. was just like a 29-year-old 20, oh, just wow. decided to do it for kicks. And, yeah. um, those are the kind of interesting people that I tracked down and, and it turns out it wasn't just him, it was two other people he did it with. Really and, interesting. And like they inspire me. I think they're amazing. Yeah. You know, I love meeting people like that. Yeah. So I, I've never really had a, a mentor it's much more just I'm inspired by all sorts of different people in all sorts of different ways. And, and I mentioned the cult, but you know, they're my inspiration every day. Sometimes mm. it's extraordinary what we're all up to at different times and, and how we help each other and support each other. So, um, you know, I think often people are looking for that mentor and sometimes you'll, they'll find one. Sometimes they won't. Mm. It doesn't mean you, you know, you can't learn from others, but again, it's like we talked about before you, those people aren't going to come to you. You've got to go out and find them. Definitely. Um, and, and then, yeah, the, the rest follows, really. I'm not sure how, how I feel about this question around books asking a dyslexic, but tell us about some of your favourite books, fiction, non-fiction, whatever. I know, I've got no problem with reading. I love reading. It's, it's, it's handwriting and spelling. Um, that's my problem. My fave at the moment is the, um, is the Philip Pullman trilogy, his Dark Materials, which has just been made into a TV series. Right. Um, I've just been reread them with my daughter. Yeah. And they are it's just amazing. Just so full of imagination and challenging conventions and um, you know, hidden within what looks like children's books, although, you know, teenage kind of level books yeah. really. There are just some incredible underlying topics and um so I read the first two with my daughter and then I remembered that the third one was full of highly inappropriate <laughs> topics. So she's gutted because right. I won't let her read the third okay. one yet. So I'm loving it, rereading it at the moment. And um, and he's released another, he's, two, he's booked two into another trilogy, which I've ordered, I've ordered the new ones from that. But I just, which, I, you know, I love books good? that. Which one's good of his? I don't know, it's, it's the whole thing. So it's, it's, the, it's called... Um, the Secret Commonwealth. Well, the, the first one is um, Northern Lights, and then right. it's the um, Subtle Knife, and then it's the Amber Spyglass. You've got to read them in that order. Okay. So that right, those are three that I'm rereading now. And then there's Great. The Book of Dust is the new trilogy. Right. Um, and that first trilogy is called His Dark Materials. Huh. 
And um, yeah, they, that's just my utter favourite. Really but I'm also terrible for buying like self-help books and non-fiction. And what yeah. I do with them is I flick through them, I put them on my bedside table, and then I hope that through the process of osmosis overnight, <laughs> the contents kind of enter into my right. brain. Um, I'm really bad at that. If I ever actually do read one, I'm pretty proud of myself. But it doesn't mean I don't have a huge collection. Which but at the moment, I'm enjoying escaping into non-fiction. Non-fiction at the moment. Which self-help help book has been of the greatest use to you over the years? So this isn't a self-help book. I mean, I forgot the name of it. Give me a second. I'm flicking through my... Sorry, I'm being annoying now. Right. It's an environmental book, which I've just started. Mm. I'm just looking through my... Amazon orders because I've forgotten the name. It's called Drawdown, the most Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. So that just rolls off the tongue. I know you can see why I can't remember the name of it, but it's um super kind of insight into what actually needs to be done, and it's um yeah New York Times bestseller by Paul Hawken, but but. I'm really, in, it's really kind of informed by science and, and I've just, yeah, started that and that's really interesting and taps into so much stuff that I'm interested in and that I'm working with so many clients on at the moment, which is, you know, sustainability, the environment, sure, you know, this, this, our, our collective future, et cetera. So yeah, that's a goodie for me at the moment. Draw down the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. Yeah. Fantastic. So it's the time, doesn't it? <laughs> Added to my Amazon reading list. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix? Uh, Amazon Prime. Hmm. What's good that you've seen recently? So again, I'm watching at the moment. Um, I am watching uh, This Is Us on Prime. Okay. Have you watched that? Um, first two episodes. Oh, I it love it. Didn't Absolutely catch my... love it. Oh, right. Okay. Maybe I should go back to it. Yeah, it's really good. I'm, I'm loving that. Um, yeah, and some Bake Off reruns for a bit of light, um, <laughs> light entertainment. Yeah, you can't go too far with uh, too far wrong with Bake Off. My um, mm. my girlfriend just recently got me into Bake Off actually after all these years, and I realise now why people are really into it because uh, yeah, it's it's just really easy watching and just oh, yeah. lo- lovely it, TV. And I, after a difficult day at work, mm. and again I watch it with my daughter, and um, I live in a really small village in Bedfordshire, mm. and um, Candice Brown who won the last series when it was on the BBC, mm. took over our village pub a year ago. So um, I now have the great pleasure of regularly eating the bakes and the main meals from a Bake Off winner. Fantastic. So, um, although it was, it was awful after, she, I think they moved in last November or yeah. something. And um, I always, with my kids, we make breakfast, uh, Christmas biscuits, loads of them. And then we take them around to, and give them to everyone. And I remember handing them over to Candice, and I was like, oh, no, this is awful. <laughs> like, these are, like, terrible biscuits. Yeah. I've knocked up with a five-year-old and an eight-year-old sure, that I'm now sure. giving to a bake-off winner. Oh, it's my like, gosh. Oh, no. But, um, yeah, so that's partly re-inspired my, my love of bake-off again, okay, so you're, is meeting her. So you're, are you back in the kitchen sort of baking now, trying to improve your skills? Attempting to. Yeah. yeah, I'm not so great at it, to be honest. But, anyway, my kids, my kids enjoy it. Awesome. In the last three to five years, what? ideas behaviors or habits have you added or removed from your life that have improved your outcomes so looking to, looking at emails after six as i said that's mm-hmm. um significant um i know this sounds ludicrous but trying to work 
less. I like I'm just one of those people that packs more and more and more and more into my day, and mm. um, and trying to kind of bake in time where I have nothing to do so that I can just go for a walk and think about stuff in the world and mm. and let the ideas flow. So it's definitely about um, taking stuff away rather than um, you know adding more in, and it's definitely you know, made me better at what I do hmm. and that's you know the joy of having a coach in your business who's he, who's finally getting through to me that you know working every hour and I'm um, you know trying to do everything isn't necessarily sure. the most healthy Productive. approach mm. or also doesn't give you the best results so mm. um so yeah so and I've been good for a while for quite a few years now I've I had a good work-life balance but I'm now trying to bake even more time into great my day yeah exactly i'm gonna probably have an hour off after this for example um yeah so no it's um it's good okay last last two questions what advice would you give to a millennial or young person who approaches you and says they want to start their career in pr and advertising and marketing sorry i mean i'd just say um there are so many different companies you could work for so many different approaches you can take Work out what's important to you. Work out what your values are, and then find a company who, who whose values you believe in, or a, a you know a corporation if you're going in house. Because mm. for me, the biggest learning of the last decade is that values are everything. So I would know what matters to you, and then find an environment and a company that shares those values, and then the rest will follow. Hmm. And my final question, Nick. What do you know about the world of PR and marketing today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? Well, that is a good question. Um, just that you'll never master it mm. because the world changes. You know, as soon as you think you know what you're doing, the world changes again and everything you once knew is no longer relevant. Mm. So um, get used to being uncomfortable. <laughs> get, used to emb- get used to embracing um, change because... Mm the minute you're complacent is the minute you know you're redundant and you've lost your edge so yeah lean into it and the excitement that change can bring great place to end nick thank you so much for doing this you're very welcome and thank you for your questions i really enjoyed it we have been speaking with nick govia she is currently the founder and ceo at blurred if you enjoyed this conversation then head over to apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 37 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in sales and marketing thank you for all of your feedback and suggestions on linkedin and email write to me at nathan at agencydealmasters.com please head over to itunes and give us a review follow me on twitter at nathan anibaba we would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Mageki is our booker slash project manager. Mariam Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters.